0: Hey, Daddy, remember after soccer practice when it was raining and you didn't come?
1: I really don't. Anywho.
0: take it west of Reservations?
1: Reservations on Eventbrite. Fucking.
2: L.S.D. Fap. Acid and fapping. Fapping and acid. Acid fapping. Fapping and acid. Fapping and acid. fap, 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 fap,
3: fap, fap. Acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. <laughs>
4: Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. Listen to live streaming radio. Or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio.
5: San Fran-
1: Captain Curls up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival, Ahoy. Ah, very good
6: Ah, very good legless Joe! I'm surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's ticket ready!
7: Full of fun seems to be the ideal. Mm, the good life it lets you hide all the sadness you feel. Sing it, Billy. You won't really fall in love, or you can't take the chance. So be honest with yourself. Don't try to fake romance. Yes, the good life. To be free and explore the unknown. Like the heartaches when you learn you must fail them alone please remember i still want you and in case you wonder why well just wake up kiss the good life goodbye With yourself, don't try to fake romance. It's the good life to be free and explore the unknown. Like the heartaches when you learn you must face them alone. Remember, I still want you. And in case you wonder why, well, just wake up. Kiss the good life. Good.
8: Woody Guthrie, back in the Depression days, and uh, that was a story about these the people they call them Okies, Arkies and stuff. You know, came from Oklahoma and, and Arkansas and Texas and places. And dust storm came and, and ruined their farms and, and their <clears throat> houses and everything. They had to get out. Figured they couldn't do worse. But so long, it's been good to know you. Moving west. Got out there, they found all these uh, border police at the California border, telling them to go back. We can't go back, man. You can't stay here. This little song tells about uh, what happened to him. O ray me, here we go. <laughs>
9: Across the desert sands they roll Get out of their old dust bowl they Think they're coming to a sugar bowl But here's what they find Well, police have hold of entry safe. "Boys, Poison up number 14,000 for the day Hey! And if you ain't got that, don't
7: Nice to meet. My que están. Casi muertos sin ti. Very good. Very good. Very good.
9: Adiós, amigo. <laughs> Adiós.
10: a couple days ago. We have to look at, see why we say that. Why so many people, so many different people express sadness, sympathy for the death of Tony Mm -hmm. Bennett. Before that, we had Rai Cooter with... uh, a bow to Woody Guthrie. Last week we played. Uh, well, I didn't. I guess we played Do Re Mi. So we played Do Re Mi again. If you don't got the Do Re Mi, you can go back to beautiful Texas, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Tennessee. What did Greg Abbott? people in California turning back people, white people from Texas. And then we started out with one of Bennett's biggest hits, a beautiful song called The Good Life. And uh, I can't remember the year, of course. Why do so many people miss Tony Bennett? He, he, first of all, he was, nominally political he did participate in marches and campaigns supporting the work of dr martin luther king and others to exorcise jim crow from this land well, of course it isn't exercise it's just metastasized it's trying to become trying to put on a uh, sports jacket and a tie and become acceptable, never let it become acceptable. Okay, so this is labor and love, and what have we got for you today? Well, let's take a look. Labor notes. Teamsters just practicing, getting ready for a strike. Mission, Michigan Amazon workers stage largest delivery station yet. The, the writers and actors strike. More from Fran Drescher, the head of that union. Lawyers, guns, and money. What about the attempt of Starbucks, for example, to decertify the union? What about the Teamsters? UPS Pilots Union is ratcheting up pressure. habituation room looks at how the repeal of Roe v. Wade affects the lives of everyday women. Not maybe the big stars, but the women who are really going to be affected by this. Uh, Look at Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer, everyone's uh, praising Oppenheimer. Everyone is talking about Robert Oppenheimer. A man who killed, who was responsible for the murder of hundreds of thousands of people in the space of a few seconds. And he comes off as sympathetic? I don't think so. Dave Zirin on the effect of betting in sport. For a long time it was assumed by everyone that betting had no place in professional sports, Because, (laughs) because why? Now, big gamblers don't really like to gamble. They want a sure thing. So what do you do? You buy the outcome. Happened over and over and over again in American sport. But in the last few years, the drive for that money, for that betting dollar, has caused a bunch of apologists to come out and say, well, people are going to bet anyway. Well, look at, Dave Zirin looks at that to see w- what exactly is going on, behi- besides, of course, the mad rush for the dollar. Who was Jovite Ibar, Jovita Ibar, Mexican-American activist and journalist, a woman who took no miss, The Sierra Club workers challenge leaders greenwashing the apartheid tours. It's an apartheid tour, anyway. It's a way for Sierra Club to make money. But what else is it beyond that? And finally, Stoughton Lind, an American original. Professor who walked the line and organized. Conscientious objector during the Korean War. We'll have more about him. Let's editorialize a minute before we get to our uh, credos. About Tony Bennett. Now, Tony Bennett, you know, is a pop singer. His songs were uh, very popular, not offensive to anyone. He said uh, at one p- one during one interview that he liked intelligent songs. He didn't go for hits. He went for intelligent songs. He was also wise enough so that in his 90s, he recorded a bunch of duets with different people including Lady Gaga, including Vicente Fernandez which you just heard. Somehow I connect him to Tina Turner in the fact that these were simple entertainers. They didn't go out of the way, uh, go out of their way to impress us with their beliefs, although it would have been much better maybe if they had, but they didn't. They were simply entertainers. But there was a sincerity about their work. There was a sincerity about Tina Turner's work. Sincerity about Tony Bennett's work. And I think that's the main thing here. Some people call it soul... Who knows, you know, a lot of people wouldn't call it that, but a sincerity of entertainers, doing the thing that they were meant to do, which is as close as I can get it. So that's why we honor Tony Bennett, and that's why we honor Tina Turner, not because they were great leaders of labor movements or freedom movements, Because they were entertainers who gave us always the best that they could. And that's worth a lot. Okay. um, Get to work first on our credos. And this is Labor and Love, you're listening to. forgot to tell you that. Ten minutes every, 10 a.m. every Saturday morning. Our walk through the world of working people, the world of the labor movement, history, commentary, opinion. All those things, everyday working people. Involved in to make their lives better. And on our show, we have our credos. These are the things we believe. I'm not saying you have to believe. Them. I think you should, though. Um, one of them is that the whole madness about people at the border is just a way to divide working people. Let's see. We've got here. This is a quote from George Sun, and this is about being angry at what's going on. Humanity is outraged in me and with me. We must not dissimulate nor try to target this indignation, which is one of the most passionate forms of love. George Sand, French writer who had to adopt the man's name to get published. So you're not just not that into politics. You, you always see people who say that. Oh, I'm not. Po- I'm not a political person. I'm not into politics. I'm not a political person. Famous last words of Edmond Dantes in the classic *Count of Monte Cristo*, as a crooked district attorney reaches out. To throw him in jail for no reason. His defense is, oh, I'm not a political person. So you're not that much in the politics, huh? Say the Democratic Socialists of Los Angeles. Well, your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Time to get into politics, come on. Here's Robert Reich, former Secretary of Labor in the Clinton administration. A man who eventually quit because he didn't like the way things were going. Your reminder, he says, that the richest people, richest one half of 1%, pardon me, that the richest 1% own half of the stock market. 99% don't own any. And the richest 10% own almost 90 It's a game for the rich. It's a game for the well-to-do. And believe me, how do you know when you phone in that order? How do you know what's happening to it? So when people talk about the stock market and how well it's not talking about the economy that ninety per cent of
4: Americans
10: the one about the just a way of keeping The immigrants. Let the immigrants take the blame. Well, who is oppressing them? Who's paying back breaking wages? Who's avoiding, who's inviting them to come here, turning on them? Use your brain? It's the game. I tell you a secret. I don't care if they're undocumented. Without Social Security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal. Trying to live a better life. This whole wall, the, BS is just the one percent. That remember that one percent that owns the stock market. Is just the one percent convincing the working poor, poor to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor, instead of realizing the reason as Quality. Source price inflation. Combination each Contrary. When we get the chance and COVID, or they can use things as an excuse to raise prices, they go ahead and do it, even if there's not a raise in their expenses. Okay, so those are the
11: credos that we
10: believe in. Hopefully, you'll agree with some or all of them. But even if you don't, just think about it. you're poor because you're not getting paid enough. Your wages aren't high enough. How's that? Pretty basic. huh? Or, to put it the way Bill Haywood did, one person gets a dollar they didn't work for. Someone else worked for a dollar they didn't. We'll add to that. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you live, where you work, never, never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And you need unions because people don't. Welcome to Labor and Love Place of I had Woody Guthrie last week by your
12: mind. Was it a huntsman or a player? got something going, something you call unique, but well, I've seen yourself pretty showing as the tears roll down your cheeks. And I'll never look behind, cause I was born for the purpose that crucifies your mind. So can't convince your mirror, as you've always done before, giving substance to shadows, giving substance evermore. And you assume,
6: this is the answer i got well his eyes turned red then green then blue and it suddenly dawned on me there was a robot sitting right there in the seat where the four men And across that factory, I watched all the buttons and the bells and the lights. How it was a mystery to me! I hollered, Frank, Hank, Ike, Mike, Roy, Ray, Bill, and Fred and Pete, and a great big mechanical voice boomed out, "All your buddies." about the factory. She hugged me and kissed me, and she cried a little bit, and she sat down on my knee. I don't understand all the buttons and lights, but one thing I will say, I thank the Lord that love still made in the good old fashioned way. I
5: Kind of heart this ain't no place to be if your plan don't be in a stop let me tell you it's always cool and the boss don't mind sometimes if you're at the food at the car
10: This one there was The Clash, kids, <coughs> about their career opportunities. Would you rather be a cop by The Clash? And then we had a uh, song about a, uh, an industry where automation has already taken a big part of the work away. Car Wash by Rolls Royce of that excellent movie. At the car before that, we had Robert Carey with his wry reflection on the coming of automation, what it's going to mean for the average worker. And before that, Sixto Rodriguez with Crucify Your Ma- Mind, echoing the thoughts of John Trudell. Amen. Um, Philosopher, whatever you want to call him, of the Native American culture. Doing is own mind. Okay, so automation, I mean, that's what it's about. That's what a couple of those songs were about, and that's what the writers' and directors' strike is about in Hollywood. Make no doubt about it. Since the beginning of time, the way that exploiters have taken our work from is by having us spend our lives doing their work. You can look through all through history and find out about battles about labor, cheap labor, available labor, Productive labor, slave labor, wage slave labor. Now there's a a speech. This strike is not about that kind of labor. It's about that kind of labor being replaced by a mind.
11: Sagafter strike by actors, which has shut down most of Hollywood. Actors join screenwriters on the picket lines to fight for better pay and protections against artificial intelligence. Fran Drescher is the president of sag Sagafter, and she has been very passionate and a fierce advocate on these issues. She joins us right now. Fran, how are you doing? Good morning.
2: I'm doing well,
11: thank you, and good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. So uh, where do the negotiations stand right now? Are you talking to the other side? Has any progress been made?
2: (laughs) I wish we would be talking to the other side. We said we would start talking to them immediately. But they're punishing us. They don't want to talk to us. So, oh, well, you know, they complain that it's going to shut down the business, but they don't come to the table. So you tell
11: me what's happening. So no meetings, no phone calls, no Zooms, uh, is there any yep. communication at all?
2: No, I think stonewalling is their uh, preferred technique. Hmm. Fran, Michelle yeah.
11: Miller here. Uh, That's what the, we're the Alliance. Hmm. Well, the other side, as we, we call them, are calling themselves the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which is bargaining for the Hollywood studios, which includes... Paramount Global, uh, Paramount Studios and CBS, all which we must we are part of. We are part of. Of course. They say (laughs) the union. Yes, they say the union has mischaracterized negotiations. And to that point. So what specifically was in the offer? Because they say they gave you a very impressive offer. Share it with us.
2: Well, first of all, you know, most of my members don't even meet the threshold to get health insurance, which is only $26,000 a year. And in most jobs, that would be considered a part-time job. So, I to go on strike is a major deal. I mean, it's a big responsibility, and they all wanted it in unprecedented numbers, 97.91. So, Why would we go on strike if we were offered such an incredible deal? It doesn't Mm. make sense. We're not making $78,000 a day like the CEOs of these companies. So it's insulting for them to imply that we're being kind of spoiled brats when people are journeymen, working people that just want to pay the rent and put food on the table, can barely make it to the threshold of health insurance in most cases. So, you know, what are we talking about here? Who are these people? They want to squeeze blood from a rock because all they're interested in is showing their shareholders how much money they're making and not losing. And where do they go? To the performer who is the very foundation of their whole business model. It's very strange. I don't understand why people just don't do the right thing, why their whole culture doesn't shift to having character.
11: Yeah. Well, Fran, I mean, they would say that if you look at their streaming divisions, with the exception of Netflix, they're not making money in those divisions. So let's linger on the money question for a second here. You've got millions of Americans, many of them watching right now who are paying $10, $15, $20 a month to multiple streaming services. They can watch The Nanny until recently on HBO Max. I think you can now watch it on Pluto, which is a Paramount property. Help us understand the difference in what you earn as a performer for a re-airing of The Nanny on a broadcast, old-school, linear, CBS-like channel versus a streaming re-air on an HBO Max or something similar
2: okay just to be clear we are on max but we're on several platforms as the nanny Um, in the old days when we did the nanny the business model was based on success was longevity of a series and if you had eyeballs and ad dollars you would stay on the air so you can be on the air six years seven years 10 years 11 years um and then episodes each season was 22 episodes was like the minimum, 24, 26. We did 28 many times. Okay, so then the show was on network television. Then it would go to syndication. It would be on cable. It would sell around the world, and it would and have a long tail of revenue. Yeah. And people that worked on The Nanny, even people that were a day player or were had a guest role they're still making money off of that show because the show continues to make money for everyone up and down the ladder it was a very good business model when the advent of streaming was introduced the business model changed radically suddenly shows were called limited series and they were given like um, you know, maybe six to ten episodes was considered a season, and a series would go maybe three to four years if it Fran, was very successful. But Fran,
11: can That's, you bottom line it for us, if you, if you could? It's a two different business models completely. That's why you're on strike. That's why you're negotiating. If there's a re-airing of the nanny, how much money do you get or a person on that crew gets In contrast to what you get if there's yet another streaming air of viewing right now.
2: You know, I can't even tell you that because it doesn't air in the same way. We don't know what the numbers are. Those people that run the streaming channels are very uh, secretive. They won't tell us. So they'll mm. give us some money that they say is what's coming to us. But we can't make enough when we're only doing six to ten episodes and it's in a vacuum. There's no tail beyond it. The money we have to uh. follow. That's in subscriptions.
11: Yeah, the takeaway there, friend, follow the money. Fran Drescher, thank you so much. Thank you.
10: Fran Drescher there talking about how the difference between business model before, how many Original shows will no longer be. Okay. That's something to watch. And they didn't talk there about AI. AI is kind of telephone. All right. Auto workers kick off bargaining with members in shape on labor notes. It's shaping up to be a big deal. In the middle of Amazon's prime day promotional sales work, 60 warehouse workers walked out for more than three hours at its delivery station Pontiac, Michigan. Bringing the facility to the brink of a total shutdown. Delivery station is the last warehouse an Amazon package passes through before it is loaded into a truck or van route to the customer. Here's Prime Day Shopping Bonanza, July 11th and 12th, set a, re- set a record, the largest sales day in Amazon. of Prime Day, more pressure on workers to keep up with the conveyor belt, overflowing with boxes. they are demanding a safe work environment where we are not straining, pulling muscles from heavy packages, tripping over boxes, falling off the conveyor belt. Co-workers walked out after Amazon retaliated by refusing to accommodate. Joined by Amazon delivery workers in Palmdale, California, recently organized. Shows that workers can fight back against the company, I. Invited them to extend their picket line to Michigan. One fight. Okay, let's take a look now. Solidarity with the team. UPS pilots union is ratcheting up pressure on the company to settle with the team. Before the union goes on Representing UPS pilots. UPS pilots that they will not cause pick drivers and packers so to walk off pick-up. Separate union. But they say, on strike we will honor the strike and we will not die. Keep your eye on that, August 1st. Guns and money, useful website, labor history. Okay, let's take a little break now. It's the 11 o'clock hour. We need our sponsor's letter. Thank oh. you. you're tuned to Labor and Love on Mutiny Radio. Yes, Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street, here in the heart of the mission, El Mero Mero. I want to talk to you about one of the real pillars of this neighborhood, one of the real businesses that gives it its identity. And, of course, I'm talking about San Jalisco, Mexican restaurant at the corner of 20th and South Van Ness. But it's far more than a Mexican restaurant. Como México no hay dos, y como San Jalisco tampoco. For over 40 years, the Ibarra family has been serving up the very best in Mexican food to the people of San Francisco. What's your favorite? Enchiladas? Tacos? Chilaquiles? The ultimate in birria? The best salsa and chips in town? Brought to you before you order? How about your favorite vegetarian omelets, burritos, and tacos? They got them. Find them all and more at San Jalisco, corner of 20th and South Van Ness, in the very heart of the mission. Come on, come on down to San Jalisco, where the food tells you you're in Mexico. Okay, and that's how it goes. Let's talk about a couple of other issues here. I really especially want to talk about the sports betting because this really threatens the core of sports. Sports is one of the biggest entertainment dollar earners in the country. Uh, Just recently, the great uh, Argentinian player, Lionel Messi, changed teams again and came to play in a Florida pro team. And it was absolutely, knocked everything else off, off the uh, front page, off the TV screen. Messi was coming to Florida. And there's the Women's World Cup. <clears throat> and there's Major League Baseball and football, even bigger. And pro basketball, which has adapted better than any of the other sports to the TV culture. So let's ta- listen to sports columnist, socialist Dave Zirin, talking about betting.
7: We spite the opposition. Welcome to competition. Pick a side. Pick aside the side. take a knee against abuse. They run you dark, pushing you through dark tunnels, trying to share life. The fight is on the moment we enter the game of life. Get it right for the whole thing gone. Day, let's go game and take Meet
4: me on the And now, some choice words. Okay, look, we need to talk about the new national pastime sports betting. I'm old enough to remember lo the many years ago when Pete Rose was banned for life from Major League Baseball for placing bets on his own team. I remember when Sports League said they would never put a team in Las Vegas because of the very physical proximity to legal gambling. I remember when the official line was that the integrity of the game and placing bets could not even exist in the same zip code. Well, fast forward a few decades, hell, a few years, and it's remarkable how much has changed. Now gambling is as much a part of sports as beer commercials. Smartphones have opened the door to sports betting apps and the leagues have embraced the lucrative bounty created and generated by smartphone gambling. They've jumped on this with the wanton shamelessness of a puppy licking its bowl. It's dizzying how quickly the commissioners have made this turn from gambling is evil To selling it to fans is all fun and Americana. I won't insult your intelligence by explaining this radical shift. It's money. A ton of it. But it's not just the league owners panting with their puppy bowls out. Sports media, like the trendsetter ESPN SportsCenter and its tall, smoothly bald host Scott Van Pelt, are always ready with a special sports betting segment. Also, the most esteemed commentators in the sports media world, like TNT's Studio Hoops team, led by Charles Barkley and Kenny Smith, now do their own giggly gambling bits. In other words, a massive portion of the economic lifeblood of pro sports, from the leagues to the top of the media food chain, is being underwritten by sports gambling. Actually, that's not quite right. It's being underwritten by fans making bets they overwhelmingly lose. It's a regressive tax on fans. Sort of like the lottery, except with one vital difference. It's privatized. So instead of money going to build roads or schools, it goes into the pockets of billionaires. Now I know some, clearly most, will say it's all good clean fun. But this isn't just about sports betting. It's about access to betting. And it's about the apps. Yes, anyone, especially in the digital age, can gamble whenever one likes but there's something called a hassle cost that has been eliminated by the apps. Now, if anyone wants to lay down some money, there's no need to find a bookie or even navigate a casino website. Just swipe your finger and as quickly as checking text messages, you are done. They have taken the most dangerous part of gambling, and I do speak from experience here, and that's that it's addictive. And they've combined it with that other great modern addiction, the smartphone. And for the leagues, It's been like cracking open Fort Knox. Now, the phone app giants do have a warning label for gambling addicts, but it's about as sincere as a lung cancer warning on a pack of smokes. The leagues do not care. And as long as the sweet dough trickles down to players and a now compromised media, no one else is going to raise a stink about this either. But as Neil Young wrote, the devil fools with the best laid plans. And wow, as old Satan fooled with the plans here because something incredibly predictable has taken place. The players are deciding in every violation of every league rule to place their own bets. As a result, the NFL has just suspended four more players for gambling and they didn't get any slap on the wrist either. These players are suspended for the entire 2023 season. It's an incredibly harsh punishment for doing what everyone in the sports world is promoting, from the boss to the media interviewing these players after the game. The sports owners, let's be clear about this, are terrified that if fans think players are operating in a way that compromises the alleged integrity of the games, the financial hit could be catastrophic. That makes referees as well, who make a fraction of the players' salaries, particularly vulnerable to the allure of gambling, and players know it. The ugliest scene from the NBA season on the court was, for me, when Dallas Mavericks superstar Luka Doncic, late in a close game, started to make dollar signs with his fingers in the ref's face to indicate that he thought the fix was in. Expect more of that. So it's Vegas for the fans, owners, and media, and the Vatican for the players and the refs. And this is a recipe for future disasters. Players will gamble. The commissioner's office will hand out year-long suspensions. And the media will get in deeper with gambling companies they should be covering instead of profiting from. The early sports organizers, way back in the late 19th century were terrified of sports betting, fearful that fans would leave in droves if they felt like the outcomes were manipulated. A little more healthy fear, a little more introspection, a little more critical thinking, and a little less blind devotion to taxing fans would be a step in the right direction. But until there is a massive scandal, and that day is coming, we can only sit back and watch gambling swallow the sports world whole.
10: Okay, again, that was Dave Zirin. And again, this is something you think of the minute you find out sports gambling is legal. People are going to want to cash in. And let me add to that. Big-time gamblers, I mean, big-time gamblers, are often not interested in a level playing field. They're not interested in placing a bet to see if they win or lose. It's much easier to manipulate the players or the referees or the coaches, which has happened over and over again. In 1919, gamblers reached the players of the Chicago White Sox and caused the White Sox to, in effect, throw the World Series. Um, check out a movie called by (coughs) um, the the maker of Mate One. I'll come up with it. Uh, Eight Men Out. And check that out. All about the the scandal. And it was kind of... um, Known around the league that there were certain players, for example, Hal Chase, very excellent ball player, by the way, who was involved in scandals. Chris Speaker, other names were thrown around. Who knows? But it's an iron rule. You have enormous amounts of money at stake. There's going to be gambling. And if there's a lot of gambling... There's going to be a As Dave Zirin said, it's coming. I want to talk about the way Roe v. Wade, uh, the appeal of it, affects the lives of women. This is something that uh, amid all the talk about the court and where did the court get this opinion and <clears throat> who brought the suit how this is going to affect everyday working women here it is the habituation room with Francesca Fiorentini.
3: and covered one of those stories in terms of who is being impacted by the lack of abortion rights um, and like what are they going through and and I feel like there's hundreds of thousands of stories for every one person we profile um but i guess i want to ask you what happened in mississippi like what happened as soon as dobbs came down um you know as in other red states
13: but explain right so mississippi had already passed what's called a trigger law basically and it was bipartisan legislation actually to if roe v wade ever fell uh it would automatically go into effect and ban basically all abortions in the state. Um, So Mississippi is also the state where the Dobbs case originated. Um, It was brought by the last remaining abortion clinic in the state over a uh, 15-week abortion ban that that the legislature tried to pass, um, which made its way to the Supreme Court. Uh, In the Dobbs decision, they overturned Roe v. Wade. So after that, as soon as the state attorney general certified that that had happened, Um, The trigger law was set to go into effect, and on July 7th of last year, the state had banned abortion. And
3: in terms of, like, surrounding states, that also applied? Or what what was your sense of—because I know that many Mississippians would seek abortions in other
13: states. Right. Yeah, if you look at the map where abortion is banned right now, Mississippi is basically right at the center, like, right in the middle of a bunch of— states that have also banned abortion it's it's there's no uh bordering state where it's currently legal and a lot of those states had similar trigger bans that went into effect pretty quickly so very quickly not only is abortion banned in mississippi but as you're saying there was nowhere nearby to go to to get an abortion Um, and that's just a trend that's continued you know more and more states have passed bans or limits and access is disappearing very rapidly in the south and so some people have been able to travel but we know that tens of thousands have not been able to um and have likely ended up being forced to give birth
14: so and and you
3: profiled someone oh go ahead megan
14: i just want to say i'm from indiana i'm from a midwestern state and the there was a 12 year old child who was brought to indiana from ohio yeah um who was a, a victim of rape and the abortion was performed in indiana which would now be illegal there and the doctor in indiana has um faced punishment and was fined by uh the state there so i think we do look at the south and be like whoa but it's like it's seemingly it, it, it's moving north it's spreading to states too I mean, Indiana's a red state. Ohio is is red and not coming back. But it's gone to other places that you're like, oh, this is this is knocking on the doors of of homes that we thought had more rational people inside yeah. of them. Yeah. Yep, I think that's
3: a. I mean, oh, and the board suit. I mean, they find her, the doctor, on some bullshit too. Yeah. Like it was like you violated the patient's HIPAA rights. It's like no, you didn't. No, she didn't. Yeah. It was like they they find other ways other than the actual what they're really talking about which is performing the abortion on a 10 year old rape victim um, to punish people that isn't related necessarily to that act they're like oh you violated no no she didn't she didn't anyway that's that is one case um, but this is a I I mean you profiled uh, her name is Latiana Halbert if I'm pronouncing that right Lashana Lashana thank you Lashana Halbert um, 26 she's already a mom um, tell me about her and, and what happened.
13: Yeah, she's she's very typical of the kinds of people who seek abortions. She had a four-year-old son. Um, she wanted to give him a sibling someday, but she wanted it to be under the right conditions. They living in a, uh, they live in an apartment. She works full time, but she makes eight fifty an hour, and it's just really hard to make that stretch. Um, Her now fiancé, Kendall, also works, and he makes better money as a welder, but he's working basically nonstop all the time. Um, She wants to move out of Jackson. I mean, Jackson, Mississippi, has been subject to, you know, this water crisis and the potholes there are crazy. You know, she wanted to live in a better neighborhood or even maybe move states. Uh, She wanted a better school and opportunities for her existing son, royalty, before she had another kid. Just all these things to be in place. And then... Uh, Last summer, just a few weeks after the trigger law in her state went into effect, she found out that she was pregnant and um, looked into uh, making an abortion appointment online with what would have been the last existing clinic, only to pretty quickly figure out that it had been shuttered by the trigger law, looked into traveling. Um, The best that she and her fiance could come up with was going to Philadelphia. But the procedure alone would have been hundreds of dollars and then there would have been travel and they just did not have the money at all. Um, And so it was
3: what, $700, according to your reporting, to get for the abortion, not including, obviously, airfare, hotel, whatnot.
13: Exactly. And, you know, there are funds out there. There are abortion funds that make travel money available. But, you know, I think it's hard to connect those to everyone who needs them. I don't think Mm -hmm. people are necessarily aware that those exist the other thing too is that she was afraid of criminalization she was afraid Mm -hmm. that if she left to get her state to get an abortion and came back that she'd be arrested and while that's not explicitly in mississippi's law i mean you were just talking about the indiana case i think it's really just a real wild west people are afraid Mm -hmm. rightfully afraid things are changing a lot she has a son she has a job there was no way she was going to risk getting arrested either so she ended up um deciding to go through with the well being forced really to go through with the pregnancy and had her baby at the end of January.
3: Wow, um, yeah, and and luckily was a healthy baby. I mean, and she was healthy given like, you know, black maternal mortality rates in this country and how little we care for actual moms once they become moms again. But can I just clarify, did she actually call
13: Jackson Women's Health for to, to see if they had appointments? She went on their website um, okay. and tried to make an appointment there and just never heard back. And it was a day or so later, she was watching the news at her mom's house. And there was like a segment about the trigger bo- trigger ban going into effect. And she put two and two together and was like, oh, that's why I didn't hear back. Uh, I can't, I can't get an abortion. Jesus,
3: the actual epicenter of this. And, and I, I actually wanted to, cause there was another tidbit in there that's healthcare related, which is that she was using birth control, um, um, I believe what it was—it the like um, the p- implant.
13: Period. Yeah, it's a hormonal implant in the arm. Right. I don't know what brand, but and right. so you know, it's a long-acting contraception, but it does expire, and so hers had expired, and she went to get it taken out. And she has private insurance through her job at a school, but it's terrible. It costs a ton of money just to have the policy, and then to use it is hundreds of dollars. So it cost her three hundred bucks to get it out. She didn't have the money okay. to put a new one in. And I think in her mind was sort of like, okay, I'll just do it as soon as I've got the money. It'll be fine. And within a month she was pregnant.
3: It's just like, and then that's sort of, you know, the crux of it, right? Like this is reproductive healthcare is about all healthcare. It's about how inaccessible it is in general. Not only that abortion is healthcare, but that contraception is also healthcare. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I mean, what's really fucked and I don't know, Megan, how you feel about this, but it's like, I think there's now a push, especially in red states for like, okay, well then what about free contraception for everybody or low cost? You know, if you, you know, you're forcing people into birth, um, but it feels, and I don't know how you guys feel about it, but like, it feels like we're already ceding territory. Like I believe in that. I agree in with that, but it feels like,
14: oh, now we're fighting on this new battle line that you just drew. Well, and, and it's almost, I, I, speak publicly about it i had a abortion a state funded about abortion in new york um and i was on birth control and i always feel the need to say well i was on birth control it's like it's, yeah. it really doesn't matter if i was or not i was i was on bad health insurance and i was on right. the incorrect dosage for my age and so it's all these dominoes of well this kind of fruit pr- and i am a like middle-class white woman and and i wasn't at the time but it's like i could have had so many other ways of of getting out of the situation and i still did not find a a way to get out of it Mm
5: -hmm. and
14: besides having an abortion i mean you brought up there's not clean water this she is having a child in a place where there is not water that is clean and safe for them to drink and it's like that should be reason enough to go oh i I actually don't want to bring a child into this situation yes
13: the other thing too is that you know maybe there's some talk about expanding access to contraception but i i'm just dubious that there are lawmakers in these states who really want to take action to help families i you know mississippi hasn't expanded medicaid it only just this year expanded (laughs) postpartum medicaid coverage for up to a year otherwise lashana would have been kicked off um 60 days after giving birth so Sons you know and gone back on her awful crappy private health insurance um yeah. and she's lucky to have health insurance at all in a yes. state like that um there were all sorts of proposals this session in mississippi to do lots of things raise the minimum wage enact paid family leave increase childcare subsidies none of it happened the instead they've given tax credits to crisis pregnancy centers and they wanna use their state surplus to eliminate the income tax. Like these are mm-hmm. the priorities. So mm-hmm. I've I've heard some state lawmakers sort of talk about like, okay, now we're gonna step up for families and I just have not seen it happen really anywhere. Mm-hmm.
14: Yeah. I, because I think that's part of the plan of they want people to be saddled with costs and and children that they cannot, care for I also think her believing that it would be criminal of her to travel out of the state is part of the plan yeah. they want yes. people to think that there's nowhere that they can go yes right
13: right I was uh, just reading a story about the day that pink house closed the last remaining clinic in Mississippi um, or sorry not the day it closed the day that the Dobbs decision came down and it was very much open they stayed open up until July 7th seven days a week um, you know seeing 40 to 50 patients a day But the anti-abortion protesters went down to the end of the road and started telling people Roe v. Wade was overturned, the clinic is closed, go home. You know, like they just want, they don't care really what's on the books. They just want to spread fear around this as much as possible.
3: Well, this is my, and this is, again, someone from the outside who has not worked in this space and, you know, just sort of like raging. But I am actually kind of astounded that, the clinics, um, that were providing abortion, um, have closed and that a lot of them haven't even stayed open for general reproductive care, right. Um, or access to contraception. A lot of them have just simply closed, um, out of fear of, you know, yeah, being criminalized or any kind of lawsuit or, or whatnot, but that also like doctors are consulting with their hospital's legal team before performing basic, like, you know, uh like dnis or i believe they're d D right or just like any kind of like treatment of someone who is miscarrying who has like an ectopic pregnancy that like and maybe i'm being harsh but like the medical field and even some of these abortion providers are like so shook and and aren't actually able to for whatever reason take a stand to continue operating like i i I wasn't expecting
14: that yeah i I feel like i have heard from doctors that they do not want to go to red states to uh, perform their, you know, to continue their specialty. And it's it's more because they don't think that they can give patients the quality of care that they would like to be able to. Not Mm. even, but like they mm. they take an oath and and i think they think to go to these places it is in direct conflict with the oath that they take because they can't actually perform the services that they're supposed to as doctors
3: right
13: there are also there are some clinics who have stayed open for for other care for other types of care i do know the pink house the owner um did close the clinic uh but relocated to as close a state by as she could and I think a lot of clinics have tried to do that to make themselves as close by and available as they can I mean I I think they're facing really bad choices yeah um, I do wish we saw more doctors pushing the limits of the law and not feeling you know sort of self, regulating themselves before you know i think that they've been very cautious to the point of not giving care where they probably could and i wish we could see a little bit more boldness there um but i think you know we've put everybody in an awful position this should just be legal and accessible and people are now extremely scared and working in um very confusing and shifting legal regimes um i don't know i think it's really hard out there
3: yeah I think so too, and I'm I'm still waiting for the the floating abortion clinic. Um, I was promised last year was the story, and I don't know what's going on. Dr. Meg Autry, I got you, girl. She said UCSF. What the hell? When's it coming? Um, just dock up in the Gulf and help people. But yeah, it's. I mean, you write on the economy, Bryce, and I, um, I believe you're also a parent. Is that correct? I am. Yeah. You know, and so is Megan, and so am I. And I just everything is just coming at us real fast and hard here, as as moms, as who have let many people, many women have left the workforce, thanks to the pandemic. Now, for sure, after in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned, effectively, um, and having no extra support for families at all, as you mentioned, just economically, like. Do you think this is something in you know 10 years when you're going to be reporting or five years like that that we're going to see the impact on women specifically of these decisions
13: i and do our... mm-hmm. I, I do i mean the the data is really clear that women who seek abortions and aren't able to get them are far more likely to be to fall into poverty to not be working to have to give up on their life dreams, to end up in debt, to end up evicted, I mean, the list goes on and it continues on for years and years afterward. And that was true before Dobbs because abortion access was already incredibly spotty in this country, but now we have huge swaths of the country where people cannot get an abortion where they live and often don't have the means to get one somewhere else, and mm-hmm. that's what they face. And And they know that's what they face. That's why these women are going to seek abortions in the first place. A lot of them, the majority of them, are already parents, and they know what it means to bring a child into the world and what it costs to take care of them and what it takes from their careers and their lives to care for children. And they say, I know I'm not ready. If I do this now, this is going to set everything off on a bad path. And then they don't get the abortion, and they're they're proven right. Um, And, yes, I think in five years, 10 years, there will be higher poverty. There will be people who are not giving our economy and our society what they were meant to give us, basically. Their their productivity, their dreams, their dignity ha- are gonna be squashed. And I, I do think that will show up in economic data, for sure.
3: Mm-hmm. MAGA, everybody, uh, uh, amazing. <laughs> Anything else, uh, Megan, you
14: wanna add? Or Bryce, you wanna add? I just, I think that the data is pretty clear that the kids go on to not have great existences too. I think it will also, and I don't want to like say the big C word, like it's scary, but crime increases. If you have children brought into the world that do not have a great situation or a, 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 a want, then a lot of things go poorly for not just the mom, but for the family unit and the community as a whole.
3: Yeah.
14: yeah I it's mean their there's... potential too sorry <laughs> yeah.
3: no exactly I mean aren't there are specific stats that link not only to like a lack of like lead lead paint being used in homes that was like number one but then also um, the, when the abortion when pi- the pill not the abortion pill yes. when contraception uh, came out and the pill came out was like oh amazing and then there was like a deep correlation in like whatever it was 15 20 years to uh, lower crime rates um but you know Megan, you're not on the Supreme Court. You're not an oligarch who's like, how can I uphold my agenda and my white minority rule and, like, give more money to the military and the police um, and have little worker bees that are paid nothing? That's the agenda. What's going on, Frantifa? If you haven't already, subscribe to this channel.
10: Hey, there are three women... addressing what will happen to working people, working women specifically, with the repeal of Roe v. Wade. It doesn't sound good, especially for the future. Let's talk for a minute now about uh, J. Robert Oppenheim. Oppenheim is the subject of very highly pushed, publicized biography. And the dialogue that's that's developing, the talk that's developing around the film is, oh, this this guy, you know, was two people. He was a great scientist, but he was also a man of enormous Sympathy. Here on Popular Resistance there is a little essay called Oppenheimer's Deadly Legacy of Nuclear Terror. Mr. Oppenheimer in his lifetime was dealing with certain problems. But he's left us survivors all kinds of huge Very dangerous. Let me read some of this. Um, Clay Benelli, Indigenous Action. Archetype of annihilation. The genocidal colonial terror of nuclear energy and weapons is not entertainment. Glorify such deadly science and technology as a dramatic character study. It's a spit in the face of hundreds of thousands of corpses and survivors scattered throughout the history of the so-called atomic age. Think of it this way. For every minute that passes during the film's three-hour runtime, more than 1,100 citizens in the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki died to Oppenheimer's weapon of mass destruction. This doesn't count for the downwind of nuclear tests who are exposed to radioactive fallout, some of whom are protesting the screenings. It doesn't account for those poisoned from working in the uranium mines, one of the most active unions that we've treated of. Doesn't account for those killed during nuclear power plant meltdowns. Doesn't account for those in the Marshall Islands or forever. For every second you sit in the air-conditioned theater with a warm, buttery popcorn bucket in your lap, 18 people dead in the blink of an eye. Thanks, to Oppenheim. You'll certainly learn enough about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, thanks to director Christopher Nolan's 70 millimeter IMAX Odyssey. Let's be clear about his deadly legacy, in the overall military and scientific industrial clon- complex. After the successful detonation of the very first atomic bomb, Oppenheimer infamously cried and quoted the Hindu scripture, Bhagavad Gita Now I am become death, destroyer of worlds. Nearly a month later, the US dropped two atomic bombs, devastating the cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki more than 200,000 people were killed. I remember a debate, this is a parenthetical comment. The debate I was having, young African-American man, who was an ex-soldier in Vietnam, and said that black soldiers were better at killing than whites because they had that need to survive. They had to develop that sense. And I thought of the 200,000 people who were killed in one second in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I thought of Mahatma Gandhi's comment. When someone asked him what Western civilization was, and he said it would be a good idea. Unfortunately, my poor black interlocutor was out of his league. Anyway, one survivor of the blast relayed his thoughts. They tried to make sense of what was happening when Nagasaki was stuck that I could see nothing below. My grandmother started to Mm -hmm. cry. Everybody is dead. This is the end of the world. Devastation that Nolan intentionally leaves out because according to the director, the film is not told from the perspective of those who were bombed by those who were responsible for it. (coughs) Nolan casually explains Oppenheimer learned about the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki on the radio, the same as the rest of the world. Oppenheimer never was a hero, he was an architect of annihilation. Let's go through that. We'll talk about more especially about the argument that the bomb had to be developed and tested on living people because the Germans might have gotten it, or we had to convince the Japanese to surrender. These were the arguments at the time. You get this feeling of a little kid running around with a loaded gun. Any minute, pulling the trigger. Okay, well, this is the B. I'd want to play one more, about Hovita Ivar. And I see I don't have time. So we'll play about Hovita next week. Labor History in Two with Rick Smith. Labor History in Two
15: i'm rick smith and this is labor history in two on this day in labor history the year was 1934 the teamster members of local 574 in minneapolis were back out on strike their strike had begun two months prior on may 16th the striking teamsters had effectively shut down much of the commercial transportation in the city One exception was made for some farmers, who were allowed to bring their produce to market. The powerful Citizens Alliance, created to oppose and destroy unions, tried to defeat the strike. The police clashed violently with the strikers, who tried to keep scab drivers from breaking through their picket lines. As the strike entered its second week, other unions began to strike in support of the Teamsters. Clashes between the police and workers intensified. Minneapolis labor leaders sat down with the police and proposed a truce. The governor of Minnesota, Floyd Olson, helped to arbitrate an agreement. The Teamsters won union recognition and the right for all strikers to return to work, as well as a system of recognizing seniority. On May 25th, they called off the strike and went back to work. But soon the employers began to backpedal on the agreement. They claimed that the negotiations did not include the workers inside warehouses and only covered those who drove and unloaded vehicles. Angered, the Teamsters went back out on strike. Soon, violent clashes between the picketers and police broke out again. Two workers were shot in the back and killed. The governor declared martial law and sent in the National Guard to restore order. A federal mediator brokered another settlement meeting the major demands of the union. It was a major victory for the teamsters and a major victory for the workers of Minneapolis and beyond. Like what you hear, check out more at laborhistoryin 2com I'm Rick Smith and this is Labor History in 2 This day in labor history, the year was 1919. That Friday, thousands of workers in the Chicago stockyards walked off the job. A serious union organizing drive had been underway in the yards since June. One of the organizers of the Butchers was John Kajkulski. John declared it would be a campaign that included workers who were Polish, Irish, Lithuanian, and in fact, every race, color, creed, and nationality. This was an important pledge because earlier unionization efforts had failed to unite the workforce and had often excluded black workers. Yet the years of racial barriers to unionize proved hard to break down. While 90% of the white workers joined the union, black recruitment lagged behind. Tensions between the newly arriving Eastern European workers and more established white workers also simmered. Despite these setbacks, the stockyard owners were alarmed by the success of the union drive. They sent in 300 mounted policemen to disrupt union meetings and monitor the workers' movements. Angered at the police presence, 10,000 workers walked off the job. They returned to work on Monday but began organizing for a strike. On July 26th, the workers issued their demands to management for better pay and safer working conditions. The next day would be one of the most infamous days in Chicago history. A group of white Chicagoans stoned and killed a black boy who was swimming and had accidentally drifted into a whites-only part of Lake Michigan. For the next week, a race riot engulfed the neighborhoods surrounding the stockyards. 1000 black families lost their homes to arson. 23 black and 15 white residents were killed. Any hope of racial unity had been crushed, and as a result, the strike failed. Like what you hear, check out more at laborhistoryin 2com I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in 2 this day in labor history, the year was 1993. That was the day that President Bill Clinton announced his Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy. He had campaigned for president promising to allow all citizens to serve in the military regardless of sexual orientation. Once he was elected, there was a great deal of opposition to his proposal. Military officials railed against the idea of lifting the ban on homosexuals in the military. Members of Congress and the public voiced opposition. President Clinton proposed a compromise he called Don't Ask, Don't Tell. This meant that military officials were not supposed to inquire about the sexual orientation of servicemen and women. Service members were not to be public about their sexual preference. This meant that if members of the LGBT community wanted to pursue a career in the military, they had to hide a significant part of who they were or risk losing their jobs. The policy stood in effect for nearly two decades. More than 12,000 officers lost their jobs because they refused to stay in the closet. It is also unknown how many more LGBT people decided not to apply for military service because of the discriminatory division. President Obama pledged to repeal the policy during his first election. It took two years after his election until Don't Ask, Don't Tell was finally ended by Congress. Some members of Congress issued dire warnings about repealing the discriminatory policy. But on the fifth anniversary of the repeal, President Obama issued this statement. Today, Americans can serve the country they love, no matter who they love and openly gay, lesbian, and bisexual men and women in uniform make our military stronger and America safer. Labor History in 2, brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and
10: the Rick...
1: up in the head. Mutiny Radio Festival ahoy.
6: Ah, very good. Ah, very good legless Joe. I'm uh, surprised you can see from the crow's nest with no legs. It's to get ready. Crew, the festival is upon us. Scurvy Steve, how many comics?
2: Over a hundred comics.
6: You're looking good, Scurvy Steve. Glad the scurvy hasn't taken you.
2: Aye, aye, Captain.
6: You, No Liver Mary, how many venues?
2: We've got nine venues, sir.
6: And you, boy, what's your name? Very good. And finally, 11 Fingers Sally, what about the tickets? You can find all of your tickets on Eventbrite, sir. Check out www.mutinyradio.fm. What is that? I don't know what a website is. I'm a pirate. (laughs) 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 But quick to the festival, all sails ahead. Pirate noises. Ambiance.
9: Still thinking. And when it's all over.
1: Well, you know I'm who's headlining at Cobb's Comedy Club on Sunday? Who? Who? Mark Neuer. Oh,
11: oh fucking Mark! Oh my God, I hear he's the best of the worst.
1: He gives you the business, y'all. Yeah, it's Mark Neuer on Cobb's Comedy Club, Sunday, August thirteenth, at seven thirty p.m.
0: Please come and come all.
11: Don't miss your chance to see Mark Neuer headlining The Best of the Worst, Sunday, August 13th at 7.30 p.m. at Cobb's Comedy Club, 915 Columbus Avenue, San Francisco, hosted by Emily Rudolph and featuring Ernest Evangelista, Honiton Ortiz, the legendary front office, and the one and only Spencer Devine. Get your tickets online now at Cobb'sComedy.com. Remember, there are more at the door. And get ready to get served the business. Side effects may include acid reflux, black lung, black foot, IBS, racism, homophobia, arachnophobia, erectile dysfunction, erections lasting more than four hours, spontaneous human combustion, appendicitis, ingrown toenails, anal leakage, and or cancellation.
7: Are you tired? vinyl to gutter punk F. M. has the best programming the internet ocean has to offer ya I bet my peg leg on it or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat
0: go <laughs> 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 namaste Tuesday used to be the most unlikely
15: night for fun.
11: But every week at 6 p.m., come to OMG's Tuesday Open Mic. And see comics work out new material for free. For free. They Get your Tuesday night party on with two-for-one well drink specials during the 6 to 8 p.m. show. Check out Eventbrite to reserve your free seat every Tuesday at 6 p.m. At OMG on Savory 6th Street.
15: Savory 6th Street. Show up to go up.
0: Hey, kids. It's your pal, Spiderman. <laughs> Sorry, Spiderman. Mortimer Spiderman. But I'm not swinging through the senior facility. Best of Mysterio at Boggle. Getting beautifully plowed by the rhino. I'm headed down to Beauty Radio at the corner of 21st in Florida. They got some eels doing the laugh laugh. But hey, don't be a schmuck and donate two to five dollars on hold hold on, what is this? Let me get my glasses. The prints too small. Ben Mo? That's not real. What is that, Swedish? You knew that, right? This is in San Francisco. I'll drown in it on. I'll, it's nap time.
1: Weekly comedy at the best neighborhood bar in the city.
0: comedy is the cheapest happy hour the most free
14: two hours hour-long comedy on the radio and internet streaming live at 2781 21st street come down be in the audience
12: dog friendly dog
14: fr- we are mutiny radio is absolutely dog friendly Ooh, a dog party ain't no party like a dog party. dog party at mutiny
12: radio Every Friday, dog party <laughs> at Mutiny Radio. Happy 278
2: hour. <laughs> 278 Street. Happy hour. Mutinyradio.fm. Here in dot .sf. in all crusties, punks, and poses. Pick your posteriors up off the pavement. Pack up your pins and patches and prepare to party. The Pacific Northwest VestFest returns this Saturday only at the SeaTac Expo Center. Never pay for fabric you don't need, and ditch the sleeves, but save the rest for the Pacific Northwest Fest Fest this Saturday only at SeaTac. Bring a can of PBR, get it half price.
0: Daddy, Daddy, what are we going to do today?
1: At 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, over there at the parklet and some of my favorite beverages, like beer, wine, and sangria. All the things I drink to forget your mother. Anywho
0: take it with the Frasers Reserve
1: Reservations on Eventbrite Fucking
13: Talkin- L S D Fab acid and mapping